As some of you may know, uh, our pastor, Pastor Lash, is out of town this weekend, and so it is my pleasure to introduce and actually welcome back to the pulpit here at GPC uh, our guest preacher this morning, Mr. Stephen Hollidge. And Steve is a uh, long-term Presbytery friend of Pastor Jack's. Um, he's a long-time ruling elder at a PCA sister church in Bowie, Maryland. Um, Steve holds a degree from Reformed Theological Seminary, and he is licensed to preach in Potomac Presbytery. And uh, he's also become a friend of mine. We discovered last time that we actually have a mutual friend, and uh, so we have that connection as well. So uh, with that, we look forward to hearing him preach from the Word this morning. So please come. Welcome, Steve. Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. The only sorrow is that you have so many people missing. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Jack planned it that way. Uh, he, hopefully he did okay last time. I don't know. But uh, with all seriousness, uh, it is a joy to be here. I have known Jack for a long time. And um, he was kind of one of those guys I looked up to when I first uh, became an elder, which is like 30 years ago. And it was about 25 to 30 years ago I got to meet Larry Poe. And he and I were kind of parallel to each other across the state line as he served here as a ruling elder and I here too. And I miss seeing Jack. I miss seeing uh, Larry as well uh, over the last couple of years. But so it is a joy to be here. This is a special uh, congregation to me. I remember back in the old days when you took the horse and carriage down Route 29 to get here. And that's so long ago now. Uh, it's amazing how many, how, how much it's built up. I was here five or 10 years ago. It's like, wow. Uh, so it is, it is a joy to be with you this morning. So let me pray for our time in the word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great privilege that we have to come before your word, your word that is above all words, uh, that in the end, when your son returns, it'll be the word that stands for all eternity. Uh, its promises, its judgments will be fulfilled in Christ once and for all. And so we ask for grace now to attend to your word with uh, sober joy. And we ask that you would transform us into the image of your son as we consider your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to read uh, from Genesis first before I come to our New Testament text. Uh, it, it'll make sense why we're going to read this. You may have already guessed why I'm going to read this. But I'd like to read from Genesis 1, 1 to Genesis 2, 3 uh, to give us a backdrop for our text this morning. And then I'll read our text for this morning as well. So if you want to turn with me to Genesis 1, you're welcome to. And then I will continue on in God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And he saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit uh, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them begin and let there and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God sent them, sent them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let there bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And, God's, and, and, and it was so. And God saw that everything he had made was, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then over to our text for this morning, John 1. I'm going to read 1 to 5, but I'll really address verses 1 to 3 this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you, uh, one of the things that's difficult in our day, I would say, is to, to be still and know that God is God. And to slow down and to take God's word at a slower pace so it can maybe be digested better. We have so many voices speaking to us from so many corners uh, of the world and our country uh, that it's hard to stop and listen carefully to what God has said. And I've, I've found that preaching from one to three verses is really helpful just for us to stop and let, let us soak that in. Let, let the light of those verses uh, really come before our eyes and enlighten uh, our view of the world, of who's in charge and who's, who's really God. And there's a certain part of this verse that's been striking to me, and we'll get that in, to that in a second point. But this morning, what I'd like for us to consider is that in the opening of John's gospel, the pre, pre-incarnate attributes of Christ are brought uh, before our eyes for our faith. That in the opening of John's gospel, Christ's pre-incarnate attributes are brought before our eyes for our faith. And I'll look at this under two points, just two simple points. First, that Christ was God yet distinct. And second, that Christ invo- Christ's involvement in the creation. First, Christ was God yet distinct. And secondly, that Christ's invo- Christ involvement in the creation. So first, I'd like for us to consider Christ was God yet distinct. And very simply, it's in verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And this is a very interesting passage here. It says so much. Uh, One person said it's like a bomb that goes off. It has so much content. Just in these these two short verses, we, we see so much of what we need to hear. That this Messiah that the Apostle John is bringing before our eyes, his goal, he tells us in John 20, 30 to 31, is for us to know that this is the Messiah that he's putting before our eyes. But that's not enough. Not just to know that, but that we might believe in him, and that's not enough, but to have life in him, to fully embrace him and know that we have life in him fully. And these verses say so much about who our God is. That he is God, that the Messiah was God before he was incarnate. He was God, he was with God. One commentator has said this, Having asserted that the word was in the beginning, John differentiates the word, uh, the word from God by saying, and the word was with God, before identifying the word as God. With the final phrase of verse 1, and the word was, was God. Behold the mystery of the Trinity. Within the one are three persons sharing one nature forever. The word was with God and the word was God. Something so beautiful and glorious, so complex and simple, must be admired. John is like the man holding out a diamond to a a viewer who, after the initial awe-inspiring presentation, begins to turn the stone so that all its facets might be admired from various angles. In verse 2, he restates what he said in verse 1. He was in the beginning with God. The word is, is, is the communication of the Father. He is the rational force of father, fatherly fulsomeness, overflowing in infinite goodness. That word was no impersonal force, but a full person alongside the Father at the principal moment of all things. The word was both with God and was God, was and with. What God was, the word was. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, 
co-equal and distinguishable, yet distinct. We see here the initial uh, reasons that we come to believe in a trinity or a triune God. That Here we see the separation that, yes, the word was God, but he also was with God. He was God, but he was also with God. And we see the delineation there of two persons in the Godhead. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism in questions 5 and 6 helps us to see this more clearly, to delineate what the Scripture is teaching here. It reflects it so well. Question number 5 says, Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. That there is only one God. That's what the Scripture testifies to. But question 6 helps us to understand how uh, the Scriptures speak to this end. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And so right off from the bat here, we see that John is putting before our eyes the one who would become incarnate, who was the Messiah of Israel. He was God himself. He was very God of very God. And we need to stop and think about that just for a moment. That when you think about your Savior, your Savior is not just a man. Although he was a man, fully man. I was here early for the, uh, the class that was going on before here. And they were considering uh, the su- suffering. And to think that this very God of very God would take on human flesh. I can't even explain it. I don't think I can explain it on a seminary test. The incarnation, the God-man. It's more there to be admired and, and astonished and believed than to be able to have a nice little equation to say what it means. But that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, even before the incarnation. That wonderful glory that he had with the Father and with the Holy Spirit before he came and took on human flesh and lived a perfect life and suffered in our, in our place. As John goes on in his gospel, where he, he really starts to open up everything that he says in his prologue in John 1, 1 to 18, he starts to open it up by examples. And we see the foot washing in chapter 13 of John's gospel, where Jesus is sitting at a, at a place of honor at a dinner, and he lays aside his garments, and he puts a towel around himself, and he washes his disciples' feet, this lowly task. And then he goes back, he puts his garments back on. There's a pattern there that we see that the Lord Jesus Christ had followed. He, he had glory with the Father before he took on human flesh. But that at a one point in time, he came and took on our nature, that he would be fully God and fully man, a place of humility. We're coming close to that time of the year where the church particularly focuses on that incarnation, the glorious, glorious matter. But to take it up again, that he would die, he'd raise from the dead and return to his place now where he is right now, as he really is leading our worship service, as he is seated at the right hand of the Father, even now, watching over us. And so we might say, why is this so important? Why, why do we need to know about the pre-existence of the incarnate Christ? Well, first of all, I think it's a, it's a great source of hope. That our Savior is not a Johnny-come-lately. He's not a mere man like you and I. We, we tend to be like the, the ancients and try to make our gods like ourselves, but he's not. He's God Almighty, perfectly holy, perfectly good, perfectly righteous. 
and that our, our salvation in Christ came from, from before eternity, before the creation of the world. It was planned that the Son would come into the world, something that's hard to, to fathom and comprehend. But this one who was God, who, who had a place and a part in the created order, we'll get there in a minute, it's way beyond everything we've ever seen or experienced. And so we, we should have great encouragement that our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who did suffer for a while, who did live on this world for a while and his return to glory, was first God. So there was no ultimate weakness in him. It was a voluntary weakness when he took on our human flesh. And so when we think about who our Savior is, we need to, to bring this into our minds. We need to bring every thought captive to that reality that he was God before. He became the incarnate Christ, the God-man, before he took on our sins, before he rose from the dead. And that should be so encouraging to see how long <laughs> he was God for all eternity. That we don't have any worries that he might fail in his task because he is God himself. But the second reason I think this is so important is that part of his glory depends on, on that reality. And what I mean by depends, he had his own glory. He was glorious beyond all measure. But it would almost be to steal or rob him of a certain amount of his glory if we didn't remember that he came from heaven itself to come for us and to save us. You know, I, the title of this sermon was Divine Resume Background Check. And uh, at the time I wrote this sermon initially, uh, our church was going through background checks for those who were in leadership in church. And I was delinquent. Although when I was a teacher, I was a teacher in the public schools, I had to get a background check all the time. But you have to get a new background check. And I started thinking about, you know, a background check tells you something about the person you're getting. Or a resume. A resume hopefully tells you something true about the person that's coming to work for you. You know something is true about them. And there might be things that really are, are to their glory, their own, you know, in, a, in a human way of speaking. But there's no glory like the glory of the Son of God, who was God himself. Thou who is rich beyond all measure. <laughs> beyond all measure. When you think about the created order, the glory of the beauty of the created order. He was rich beyond all measure. He was rich beyond all measure. The Apostle Paul, speaking to his audience in the book of Philippians, is trying to, to bring this home to them. He tries to bring this home in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participate, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but, to, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
that that's part of his glory. And that's, that's part of what we need to, to bring to our minds all the time, not just in December, <laughs> but all throughout the year. One of my saddest things about the church over my, I don't know, 40 years in the church is that we always feel we just can always sing those incarnation songs and hymns in December. You can sing them on June 25th. It's still true. It's still glorious that your Savior came from heaven and he laid it down that you might be saved. For a time, he laid his glory aside. And so in the, you know, maybe you should have a special gathering on June, June 25th just to say, let's remember these things. These are ours. You know, I don't want you to be, as they say, ripped off. <laughs> this is for you to remember that at any moment, even this moment now, your Savior left glory for you. You know, I don't know what, where you're all coming from today. Some of you might be at the heights of joy in God's providence. Some of you might be almost, you'd say, at utter despair. But you need to remember that your Lord is living and at the right hand of the Father. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And it wasn't like it cost him nothing. You know, as we were talking about suffering earlier, part of the reason was that he might be a sympathetic high priest. You know, I have found it when people have very serious disease, uh, heart disease or cancer, they tend to seek out somebody who's already gone through it. And what a great gift that is to those people, to have somebody who's already gone through those procedures or those situations who really know what it's like. You know, it's not like somebody else that has no idea. And all they, can, they can offer words, and it can be true words. There's nothing wrong with that. But somebody who really knows what it's like to have a heart attack or to know the depression that comes from that sometimes or somebody who's had cancer and gone through chemotherapy or some other procedure, what a great encouragement it is to know they really feel with you. You're not just a cold, object, uh, objective person, but they know what it's like. And that our great Savior, who is God, so transcendent at the same time as eminent, he knows what it's like to live in the world. And if you think about it, coming from heaven, you know, you probably had some experiences sometime where you've, you've had two extremes great joy to great sorrow, or great wealth to great poverty, to think that he came from heaven with all that holiness, <laughs> perfect holiness, and to come and just experience the, the corruption in the world just as a, a, a visitor of sorts. But he wasn't just a visitor. You know, it seems like our time in the world right now is one of the most chaotic I've ever seen in my whole lifetime. And we, we tend to think of the now moment but there's been other times in history where things have been difficult. And we see it even in the scriptures that God brings his people through difficult things. We just sang a song called Waiting on the Lord, Waiting on the Lord. I love those words. Most of life is waiting on the Lord, right? Most of life is waiting on the Lord. We're waiting for him to return, his sure return. But often we're moment to moment just waiting on the Lord. Maybe waiting for a paycheck or money, waiting for a health result. But it's important to know that the Lord knows what it's like. At the same time, he's God. And so he, he's, he's, uh, he, he's, 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 he was wealth, wealthy beyond all measure. And yet he came 
And for a time he lived on the earth, for those years he was here, that he might know what it's like for us. Not, not by theory, but by experience. And if I can just encourage you to, if you have some time, to, just to set aside some time to meditate on that. Because the more you, you and I get that, the more we'll be encouraged in the Lord. That because he loved us so much that he came here and took all that suffering, the civil injustice, the church injustice at the time, the physical punishment, the crucifixion, and even bearing our wrath, when the Father turns his face away for a moment as he bore our sins on the cross. I'm not a fan of suffering, (laughs) and I've had a fair amount. But I think that when we see what Christ has done for us, suffering takes on a whole new complexion. Because our Lord is going before us, and he knows what it's like. In fact, not just that, but he's, he's endured something that by God's grace we'll never know. And that is the eternal wrath of God for our sins. That's an amazing thing. I think one of the most difficult things for Christ is he went to the cross and he bore our sins. I, I always thought of it as more the, the fire aspect of the wrath to come, and that's true. But there's more that he had known God's perfect fellowship. His perfect fellowship, his, the perfect bond of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He had never known anything else his whole life. Not even in this world as the God-man. He had perfect fellowship with the Father up until the cross. You know, sometimes he would stop. He says, Father, I'm not saying this because I know you always hear me, but this is for those around me. The, 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 the intensity and the, the tightness of the fellowship is just hard to imagine. He was always wanting to do the Father's will, and he did it. He didn't just do it in actions or words, but in thoughts and affections. They were totally one in purpose. But then on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just the Son of Man then. I mean, he wasn't just the Son of God then. He was the God-man. And as the God-man, he was bearing the sins of men. And for the first time, he... That love of the Father was eclipsed for a time. Where those outside of Christ will have that for all eternity. And so it's no small thing that our Savior was, was God before his incarnation. That, that provides a, a perfect stability for our hope and our salvation. You know, things can shake and change on the, in, in the world. I remember in 2011, I think it was 2011, I was teaching as an elementary school teacher, and I had my students all lined up. And I'm standing there, all of a sudden, my legs go like this. I was like, and there was a, an aide there. I said, I think that was an earthquake. <laughs> it was the first earthquake I ever experienced. It came out of Virginia. Thank you very much. And, um, <laughs> but it was, I, I always wanted to experience one, and it was just, it was so bizarre. I never had the ground shaking under my legs. And yet there's none of that with God. There is no instability because he's God and there's no one more powerful than him. And so we should be very encouraged that our Savior is God and that he would suffer for us and he knows exactly what it's like. And that's why, as we they were talking in the class early, we should go to him all the time. We should have an open line because we do have an open line. You ever thought about that? You have an open line to, to God through Christ all the time. 
I used to have a hard time sleeping at night. I start watching television. They have these infomercials. And they say, our lines are open. I'm thinking, it's three in the morning. Is it really open? <laughs> you know? But our line to God is always open, whether we're by ourselves in a hospital bed, in a, in a hospital, or wherever we are. And that's what Christ has purchased for us with his own blood that we would have access 24-7 from now into eternity to pour out our hearts. And so our, our great Savior is God, and yet he took on human flesh. He knows what it's like to suffer, and so we can always go to him. But the second point is Christ's involvement in creation, seen in verse 1-3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's demonstrating here, John is saying, he was instrumental as the word of God in creation. Now, this is the verse that really struck me. It, it, it caught my attention. I was preaching some other sermon, and it was like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. All things were made through him. Paul, in his letter to Colossians, in verse uh, 116 says this, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And even before we get to the place of salvation, that as creatures we were made through Christ and for Christ. Think about that just for a moment, that the design of who you are as a human being, was through Christ and for Christ. Your purpose was never yourself, or for me, myself. You know, all my life I get up and say, oh, it's my, here's my day. Steve, what do you want to do? Steve, Steve, Steve. Oh, yes, Lord. <laughs> I was made for you and not for Steve. And yet the fall has so uh, almost eradicated that reality. That we were never made for ourselves. But I think some, we, we so underestimate the effects of the fall. It's just worth a whole series on the fall and its results. How it plunged Adam and Eve into darkness. After they disobeyed God, they tried to hide from God who made all things and sees all things. The most absurd thing you could think of at the time. Oh yeah, I'm going to go hide where God can't see, which was impossible. But I think it's worth us taking that to heart that sin makes us stupid. It's made us stupid. It's made us foolish. And so when we see the corruption in the world, and the Apostle Paul talks about this in his letters to Timothy, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised at the, the debauchery of the world. It's amazing that God saves anybody, that he reverses that in Christ. But I think sometimes we get overwhelmed. We say, oh, the world's just getting worse and worse and worse. And maybe there is some sense of that. But it's never a surprise. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament with God's people, with few exceptions. And we see that it's to come in the last days. But the thing that's so encouraging about this, this truth that all things were made through him and for him is that he is the ultimate authority. And that all of creation is accountable to him. 
because it was made through him and for him. There's no one who will escape from his judgment apart from Christ. Every evil will be just, will be had uh, sure justice unless, unless they're in Christ who bore our sins for ourselves. This past couple of weeks, I've just so much enjoyed the fall weather. I was, I was in Virginia last year filling the pulpit at Heritage in Warrington. And one of the biggest blessings is just the beauty of the area. You know, where I'm at is more metropolitan. I just loved, I was so ministered to by the created order. This past week or two weeks ago, I went to have a lunch with one of our members. Who, he works up in Baltimore. I'm near, more closer to, uh, to Washington. I took the Baltimore-Washington Parkway. Blue sky, beautiful leaves, rejoicing in the created order. It was all made through him and for him. And, and it's like, yes, it is good. It's beautiful. People flock to Skyline Drive during this time of the year because they want to see those leaves. God's incredible artistic display. That's just one season. <laughs> That's just one season. But the sun and the moon and the stars and all these creatures we talked about, they were made through him and for him. You have more of an opportunity out this way than I do to see all this thing a little more clearly, you know, not as many distractions. I have a brother who lives in Laurel, Maryland, and we had a crab feast. There you go, just crabs, one of God's gifts. And uh, he, he has a pretty big piece of land. It's next to a big pasture. And I see this hummingbird going by and these huge oak trees. And there's cattle in the field next to his yard. I thought, this is all made through Christ and for Christ. And just a really, this is an important application. You know, we're, Paul says to bring every thought captive to Christ and, and uh, we're, have to, we're supposed to have our minds renewed. That's part of having our minds renewed is saying, Christ made that. That was for Christ and through Christ. And what a great encouragement it is that when you're so discouraged or something, you can look to the created order in light of the scripture and say, God made this world and he's in charge. All things were made through him and for him. I had the, there's a there's a church that might be interesting in having me as their pastor in, in, in Kentucky, and it's pretty remote, but there's this big ridge of mountains. I thought, you know, if I go there, I'll still have those mountains as a witness. <laughs> They'll always be speaking to me of God's wonderful created order. That those mountains too were made through Him and for Him for His glory. And yet, that that so much shows why. We should not be surprised when we see the chaos and sin in the world. Because people are trying to squeeze that square peg into a round hole. Living for themselves, living for other gods. We talked about idols in our songs. Not living for the purpose for which they were made. It's very sad, you know. In any endeavor, when you see somebody has potential and never lives up to it, it's very sad. But to not live up to the potential or even the design that we were made for by God. To live for Christ that was devastated by the fall. And yet God in his great mercy and his great kindness sends his son to bear our penalties. To bear our penalty. And so there should be a sorrow. There's a lot of talk about brokenness in the Christian community and that's absolutely true. And, and God is so kind, you know. He, he sent his son 
to bear our sins. That was our biggest problem. It's not our health or our wealth or even relational situations. It's, it's our relationship with God. But he sent his son to bear our penalty because we are not just broken, but we're guilty. Adam was a rebel against the command of God. And Christ has borne the wrath for that. And so we do have compassion on those around us. But we have to tell them the truth. That it's our own fault. It's Adam. We're, we're children of Adam. But God has done something. He has sent his son to bear that penalty. That we don't have to live in death any longer. We don't have to be confused any longer. I think one of the most important aspects of this is when we talk about orientation or identity. I've heard of two children of the church, one in our own church and another church, where children are having this identity dysphoria and doing medical treatments. There's no need for that. God is the God of creation. He's, he's made us the way he wants us. And in Christ, that starts to be rectified and brought to glory forever. Our orientation is not ourselves. Our orientation is not our blind minds. Our orientation is Christ. We were made through him and for him. This reality brings home the glory of so many of the things that Jesus says to us. John 15, 1 to 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be, bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. There's no surprise that we can't do much or anything apart from Christ because we were made through him and for him. And yet he gives up his own life to purchase us back with his own blood. Lastly, another example here, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's no surprise that his burden is light because in Christ we are brought back to the purpose for, for whom we were made and through whom we were made to live for his glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we've just looked at a few verses this morning, and yet they're so pregnant with meaning. We ask that you would help us throughout this Lord's Day, this gift, to meditate upon them, that they might seep deeper into us, and they might enlighten the darkness that remains in our remaining corrupt thoughts. We know that there's still a remaining corruption uh, in us, and, and we ask that uh, you would subdue us by the Holy Spirit with these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the